Welcome to Harvest Recruitment Seeds for Success show. Today we have guest Marie Harris join us for an interview about how to manage difficult employees and having those difficult discussions. We also talk about what is the optimum time a recruitment process should go for. And we also have some feedback from actually last month's breakfast. Welcome to Harvest Recruitment's Seeds for Success show, where successful managers and experts share their insights to help you recruit and retain the right people in your organisation. Now here's your host, Marie Harris. Hello and a very warm welcome to Harvest Recruitment Seeds for Success show. If this is the first time you're listening, my name's Marie Herreth. I'm Director of Harvest Recruitment and Harvest Human Resources and our aim is to help managers attract, select and retain the right people in their business and our Seeds for Success show has been specifically designed with that goal in mind and we share our own thoughts and our own experiences uh, plus those of our clients and we've been delighted to have special guests join us and share their experience, which has just helped um, give the learning to our audience. So sit back and enjoy the show. Today in our show, we first of all address the question, which is how long should a recruitment program or process go for? Um, I'd be interested to get your thoughts before we even proceed with that question. Uh, But from experience, we know what the optimal time is. So we're just sharing our thoughts and experiences there. We're talking about our forum, which Particularly, we're going to focus on Facebook because that's been where we've gained a lot of traction this last month. We've had people commenting, we've had shares, we've yeah, we've had a, we've had a bit of interest in what's going on in our Facebook forum. We also um, are going to let you know some of our events coming up, but not just the one for the month. We're letting you know what's happening in June, July, and August, so that if you get this podcast a little late you can still come to one of the events that we're hosting. And we're also giving feedback, particularly on our last month's breakfast. We um, yeah, got fantastic feedback, so we just wanted to share some of that from our breakfast, which was on um, corporate culture. And finally, and you know, last but not least, is our guest for today, Marie Harris. And Marie has a PhD and she delights in empowering individuals with the soft skills of management. And so I'm not going to steal her thunder because she's got a lot to share later on in the show. So welcome. Today, I'm going to answer the question, how long should a recruitment process go for? This is a recruitment process for permanent hires, um, which goes through an appropriate sourcing um, and screening techniques before an offer is made to the candidate. So I find that um, we have clients that you work on broad timelines and there is an ultimate timeline that should be applied to recruitment processes. Too short and organisations aren't taking um, the time and due diligence to potentially screen or select their candidates and too long you risk losing candidates um, as they wonder what's going on and they wonder if it's them that is the reason why it's slowed down or if it's the organisation themselves and then they start to have second thoughts around the organisation. So my best advice is that 
on the, I guess, the the speedy end of this scale is four weeks um, to a more extended length eight weeks is the time frame. And I'll divide that into the main elements of the recruitment process. First of all, to actually gain candidates, and that's either through advertising on job boards or various networking, that process normally takes two weeks. uh, And it could take a further week to screen your candidates, depending on the volume that you get from various advertisements that you place. Then once you've screened it down to the group to interview, interviews then can take a week to undertake. And that's not because of the amount of people and the volume that you are interviewing, but it's um, coordinating diaries quite often can take that period of time. So already you see we're up to four weeks and we've only done the first interview. Now, if further validation is required of the candidates, then we're looking at perhaps a further two to three days. Um, If there's another interview, that could be another two to three days. So again, we've clocked up five weeks without even thinking. Take the time to actually formulate the offer, the verbal offer followed up with the letter of offer, follow up with the employment contract that can take a week by itself. So bang, we've hit six weeks, which is right between that minimum and potentially maximum time to take to do a recruitment process. Now, some companies, if they get smaller um, ad response and a, a more defined group of candidates can pass through to the interviewing process much faster and likewise um, maybe able to bring it through to placement faster as well. Companies that struggle, I guess, with the sourcing aspect can take a little bit more time to bring it through, or if there's more decision makers in the process, that might impact the timelines. But I would say this is where we're talking about the optimum timeframe for a recruitment program. As I said, extend beyond risk losing, go too quick, too soon, risk getting the wrong candidate. What's happening in the forum? So our forum, um, if you'd like to exchange dialogue with Harvest Recruitment and Harvest Human Resources, is usually via our Facebook fan page, uh, LinkedIn groups, um, or alternatively, you can send us directly some feedback, uh, which we can respond to in our next podcast. So Our Facebook fan page, interestingly, has been the one that has gained a lot of traction um, of late, which is fantastic. We're obviously um, hitting the head with a few of our posts and they're getting shared and they're getting commentary. It's fantastic to see. So um, if I was to glean over our Facebook fan page and say, this is what's been happening in the world of Harvest Recruitment, you're going to see the various breakfasts that we've been hosting, uh, but also that we've been attending. It's not just all about hosting and delivering events, but also uh, participating in events as well. Um, I particularly was at the Vet Reform Workshop that was held a couple of weeks ago with um, Sarah I should know her name, Sarah Henderson. (laughs) Sorry, Sarah, if you're listening. My dad was a politician in the 80s. Sarah's father and mother were also politicians in the 80s, two sides of the fence. Um, So my dad ousted Sarah's dad and my and her mum ousted my dad. How um, ironic. Anyway, Sarah um, coordinated a vet reform program um, which 
had a lot of stakeholders talk through their thoughts on vocational education, uh, advantages, disadvantages, challenges that the industry is facing. So it was really quite good to get involved in the cutting edge of potentially new policy that will come up with regards to the vocational education training sector. Uh, Other things in our um, Facebook world, we've launched pretty much those um, events that I mentioned. So all of our events coming up for the next four or so months are now on our Facebook page. So some people are quite interested in coming to um, our events. Uh, We've also put some quotes up which have resonated extremely well. Um, Our latest one today, which is, yeah, it's... um, going very well is I'd rather look back at my life and say I can't believe I did that instead of saying I wish I did that so that one's um, our quote for today so if you'd like to have and we don't spew forth a lot of inspirational quotes because you know you can have an abundance of um, quotes and photos on Facebook but just enough to um, keep it interesting we've also um, presented another career transition program which um, was well received and again we've been to a couple more um, presentations and we've also entered um, the Geelong Business Excellence Awards, which um, we had a lot of people supporting us uh, in our nomination for the local awards. So if you'd like to get involved in the dialogue, we'd love to have your um, feedback. And um, the classic one, I have to just mention this as we finish, um, we put up a post on our fan page, July is approaching. What do you do to prepare for performance reviews? Topical because of the time of the year that we are now in and also Marie Harris as our guest speaker. Um, One of our Facebook fans said, I get clients to send thank you notes to my bosses. So that was a very comedic take and we'd like to thank Damien Prasino for making his mark as he does. Um, but it's it's that sort of um, variety that we, we actually enjoy and we enjoy the fact that we do get both um, clients who are following us on our Facebook page but also job seekers, candidates, friends, peers, colleagues, etc. So if you'd like to be part of it, we'd love to hear from you um, in our dialogue page that is Facebook fan page and you can find it as uh, facebook.com forward slash harvest HR or if you go into your tab search when you are in Facebook and type in harvest recruitment. You know, I realised something when it comes to our events. I only announce the very first event that's coming up and quite often people are accessing our podcast episodes well and truly beyond um, the time that I launch them. So um, I'm just going to bring you up to speed with three events that we've got coming up in the near future. So if you pick the um, podcast up in June or July or yeah, even August, you're going to find out um, some events that might be applicable to you. So first of all, um, our June event, uh, we are co-hosting again, um, and we are working with um, the guest presenter of this um, episode, uh, Marie Harris, and she's going to be presenting on the cool, calm and collected way of managing people. And that's on June 19th at Winter's Cafe. 
Then we're collaborating with Eng, which is the engineering network Geelong. And one of our clients is actually presenting there um, on starting up in Geelong and the, uh, I guess, the machinations that they went through, a bit of a case study, if you like, um, as they started up um, their operation. Um, I think they purchased a factory or leased a factory and had to purpose fit out that factory for their requirements. And that will be held at 5.30pm at the Geelong Yacht Club. And you can find out more information on the website www.eng.org.au. And then our August briefing is back to breakfast and it's part of the Victoria Small Business Festival and we'll be presenting on the topic confident hiring, which as a small business, many business owners have to hire, but they don't hire confidently. That's on August 26th at our offices in Geelong. So we would love to see you at any of those events. Uh, we'll also be around, there's a jobs expo coming up in June, and that's the June the 20th, June 21st. Um, and I think it's at the waterfront and it's called Jobs for Geelong and it's a jobs expo and you'll see Harvest Recruitment there, um, showcasing some of our current uh, jobs that we're working on, plus um, we'll also showcase some uh, roles that we've recruited thus far. So whether you're coming to one of our breakfasts, some of those breakfasts are available on webinar, um, and or whether you're going to see us at Jobs for Geelong, we look forward to seeing you at one of our events. Last month, we hosted a breakfast or co-hosted a breakfast with Crow Horworth. And in particular, uh, we had Craig Bitterscombe from Crow Horworth present on corporate culture. Uh, this was a fantastic breakfast because uh, we see retention has a lot to do with um a company's corporate culture, but also the buy-in of individuals and the individual match between personal values and behaviours and traits and an organisation's key behaviours, values and traits. So it was a fantastic breakfast um, and we thank Craig for participating last month in the breakfast. And um, if anyone wants any notes or any further information around corporate culture, by all means get in touch with us on 1300 363 128 or via email info at harvesthr.com.au. But, yeah, we, we gained fantastic feedback and uh, we had um, 22 people at the breakfast, which, you know, allowed for a lot of um, involvement and it was informal enough that we all got to meet each other and share our experiences as well. So, um, yeah, fantastic to be a part of some of these briefings where we all walk away with some learnings in the recruitment space where we're not about only helping people uh, and managers get their candidates over the line and starting with their organisation, but also the long-term management of their employees. And that's what we're, um, I guess, 
really focused on helping um, our clients and um, those that we interact with do. And Marie Harris, of course, with her aspect on soft skills and soft um, leadership skills in particular, that goes hand in hand with, uh, I guess, the service we offer. And so we are an allied industry and I can see that we can do um, things that perhaps partner with each other um, in specific areas. And yeah, and Marie has a lot to share and her uh, workshop attendees often learn a lot in the process. So first of all, let me introduce Marie and then we'll get on with the interview. Marie Harris is the Director of People Empowered. She's a facilitator of professional development and training. She's a coach and a mentor. She works with professionals developing and an and enhancing the soft skills for personal leadership that they need to lead themselves first and then lead their people. Her clients are often highly skilled technically but have discovered that their career advancement and future success professionally depends on their soft skills being equally well developed. Please welcome Marie Harris. Now I'm delighted to have Marie Harris join us today for our podcast and Marie and my paths crossed, well, it was probably about 18, 15, 18 months ago when we met at a local chamber event and we realised how much we had in common, harvest recruitment from a recruitment perspective, but also Marie who does a lot with managing and helping people with improving their soft skills. So I've kept an eye on Marie and um, have welcomed her to the region with open arms and I'm delighted to have her join us today. Thank you, Marie. Mm, It's good to be here, Marie, and it, it is always good when you meet up with someone who is in the same tree as you, if I can put it that way, who thinks the same way as you and who has the same focus for where they're going and what they're doing. So it it has been good to maintain that contact and especially good to be here today doing this with you. Thank you. Thank Mm. you. Now, I'm intrigued. If you could just tell us how you came to focus on empowering these highly motivated professionals with the soft skills they need to work at the cutting edge of their profession. Well, it actually goes back to about 1995 and anyone who lives in Victoria um, will know that at that stage, Jeff Kennett was the Premier of Victoria and he cut 55,000 public service jobs. And I had, I was counselling, had a counselling and psychotherapy practice at the time and uh, so I was counselling people and I had a flood of middle managers coming to me um, caught up in this change, enormous change that had happened. They had previously been managing teams of about five to ten people. Now, with all the cuts, they were managing teams of about 50 people. They'd been given no training to manage this change. They were just thrown into it. And most of them who came to me felt they had to resign. They, couldn't, they were doing such a terrible job they couldn't do it. Now, these people were highly motivated, extremely competent professional people. They didn't need counselling, but coaching was almost unknown at that stage in 95, so they came for counselling instead. And, and I found that all I really had to do with them was get them back in touch with their own strengths and their own abilities and help them to see 
that they had to adapt their management practices, their leadership, because they were now with 50 people instead of 10, but they still had the capacity to do that job. And all credit to their high professionalism, most of them went away feeling very empowered. Now, that's how the name of my business came, because people said they felt very empowered by what we did together. So it, it made me, I did that for 10 years, still counselling, and then in 2005 set up People Empowered because it's about believing in themselves. It's about self-awareness. It's about resilience, about all those emotional intelligence um, and their ability to um, trust themselves mm. to take the risks they need to do to move forward. So I... Um, then decided, look, I don't really want to work with people with problems all the time. <laughs> I want to work with these, these people who are so highly motivated to be the best that they can be in their area of expertise. So, And I find it fascinating that you've, you talk about empowering these highly motivated professionals. Mm. A lot of people would say um, enabling or, you know, more mm. on the training and education mm. side, but you're empowering. So mm. there's there's a bit of mentoring in there. There's mm. coaching. Mm. So what what so yeah. people are coming to you with what would be a standard challenge that a, a highly motivated professional would come to you with? Well, I should say first, Marie, that I really can't empower anybody. I think what I do is I create an empowering space for them. And I think this is also what managers need to do for their own people, which we will hopefully talk about yes. later. It, it's a space where they are not being judged, where they get a chance to express themselves and express what's happening for them so that, and it's a safe place for them. Um, it's not threatening. And so in that space, they can discover their strengths and talk about and we can talk together about what how they can build on those strengths so that's really what I'm doing with people and and they become empowered by that process very good so it's it's very much what I call about being the coach not the critic oh, and uh, okay. so yeah. you you're coaching them through a process rather than um critiquing it or even Saying getting you've them done feedback. that wrong. Or, yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Very positive, mm. affirming mm. approach to take. Mm. So what we find when we are looking to assist managers, we help a lot with the um, attraction and selection of staff, but it really comes down to the manager themselves on the retention piece and mm. every manager wants to retain good staff. But many managers and leaders, as they seek to motivate and lead their teams well, they struggle with having difficult discussions. Have you investigated that a little bit further? I'm sure you've found that in your time, that, that that's the sort of thing that a lot of managers and leaders will run away from yes. or they don't even want to confront the yes. situation. Yes. Um, what has been your experience there? Well, first of all, look, I run a whole range of workshops around the soft skills area. Now, the one that draws the biggest crowd is always the one about performance management or giving feedback. Mm -hmm. it, it is, if I had to name the, 
biggest challenge that most leaders tell me and managers tell me they have, it is in this area. Hmm. And um, I think the way... why, Why is it so? Why... Is, is, it, well, is it part of an upbringing that you just don't have those difficult well, discussions? Like nobody... People want to be liked. Yes, exactly. <laughs> nobody wants, particularly if you're managing a team of people, that nobody wants to get that team offside. You want to keep them onside. And also there's that personal feeling of not wanting to be rejected. And there's even though a manager can identify that people are not doing something as well as they could or not even doing it well at all, um, they still think that if I say anything, it'll only make things worse. Right. So I don't say anything. But then what happens is they know they have to deal with this, but they keep on delaying it, thinking it'll get better or improve of itself. All the time they're getting angrier and angrier and more and more frustrated with this person. So by the time they do have to deal with it, their own emotional state has escalated to such a degree that they usually do it extremely badly. Yep. Because they they can't off the handle and they can't contain their emotions. Yes. It's it becomes a very negative experience. And and whereas if they dealt with it, the moment it just became a small itch, they could have handled it very easily. Hmm. And even though it might have still been a little bit uncomfortable, mm. Mm. not to the great degree mm. if it's left to fester. Yes, yeah. But, but I also, it is also about the way a manager understands his or her relationship with her team. Like some managers think that put themselves into an authority position and they have that idea of managing as controlling or making sure things are getting done. Right, power. Yeah, Mm. power. And, in fact, that's often why they want to be a manager. It's sort of a status, a power, an over-the-top type of thing. Whereas the... Now we're beginning, and this is where my soft skills work comes in. It's not so much, it is about managing tasks, but more importantly, it's about managing people because the people that do the task, the the tasks get done by the people. So the relationship the manager can have with his or her people determines how well things go. So if a manager can develop a psychological contract with his or her people, um, you know, if you give me your heart and your mind, if you look after my organisation, I'll look after you, that that type of thing, mm. then this question of difficult conversations is less likely to mm. occur because you, you're working with, it, it's the relationship mm. stuff. You're working on the relationship all the time. Mm. And you've set the bounds for yes. the, the, the discussions yeah. that would happen yeah. henceforth, which yes. is remember that discussion we had that mm. you know, let's do the right thing by mm. me mm. and the organisation. Yes. yes. Are we actually achieving that common goal? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. So you mentioned some of your workshops, but how do you how do you go about assisting managers to perform this part of their duties better? It's amazing how few managers themselves have ever had coaching. Mm. So they don't know what the process is. 
That's right. They're, they're uninitiated. No, yeah. no. And but they're very clear on uh, how to give feedback, or not terribly clear, but they know what giving feedback's about. They know what criticizing performance is because that's what they've grown up with. They've had managers, and they think that that's how how you do it. But um, helping managers, a really important part of the work I do now is helping managers to learn some coaching skills mm-hmm. um, that can enhance. Uh, the the work of their their uh, team members, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's really interesting to look at what when the managers have done that the the feedback you get from your staff from doing that like things like he helped me realise my the potential I had he helped me see t- untapped um, talents that I didn't even know I had now that's. That's quite different when you talk about difficult conversations. As if anybody comes out of a, a a review with their manager and says, "Oh, you know, it was wonderful. He helped me understand potential I had." And, and there's so no a, reason why that can't be an outcome. No, and and there was there's been a very big study done by uh, Blessing White on on the outcomes of coaching, which is really worthwhile having a look at. And that was the top thing that people said about coaching, that that's what it did. Mm. And the, the, the thing that people found less helpful in that study was um, this very thing we're sort of talking about here, about what I've done wrong, mm. you know, because all the rest, it's mm. so much positive stuff you can do. And if you yeah. focus on the positive and not on the negative, mm. you get the best, I mean, just we only have to ask ourselves how what do we, we respond to what do we respond to yes so does that mean a manager should not bring up any negative elements about a worker's no but it's the way it is brought up mm. there's marshall goldsmith who i'd say is probably the most well-known international executive coach um he has a process that he calls feed forward so if you think of feedback, we're usually looking at things people have done wrong. In the past. And telling them what they've done wrong and you have to improve on that, mm-hmm. right? His feed forward is to say, right, that's happened. What are we going to do in the future so that that never happens again? So it's a – and it, he does it in conjunction with the person. So mm-hmm. it's – it's like it's, that continuous improvement it's, it's cycle. It's focused on the positive. Mm. We're not going back telling you what you've done wrong and you shouldn't have done it and making you feel bad and putting you down. It's very much what can we do? What can I do to help you achieve that? Yes. What do you need from us? What do you need from your team? And it's all about helping the person to be even better than they already are. So it engenders a very... Um, energized response from the person, and then the they people, want to be. Yeah. They, they're motivated to want to yeah. change. So the people who come out of that meeting, the the point, the negative point has been raised, mm. but it hasn't been focused on the attention. Yeah, yeah has not been given it's to that. The the, the real, forward position. The energy is focused on the forward. On. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 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 So one thing that 
managers and leaders have to go through on an annual basis is the annual performance review which I don't think many managers really look forward to because that's when they as you said they they've held back held back when's a good time to mention this okay well if I don't mention it at the performance review when am I going to mention it so there's a lot of managers probably out there going okay I'm going to raise it what can they can what can they be doing to mentally prepare for having these challenging discussions what do you what would you offer as tips and advice that they could do I mean one is you shouldn't have left it until the performance (laughs) review (laughs) you should have nipped it in the bud in Um, fact if 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 people people staff and employees have a right to be very angry when a manager raises something in a performance review review for the first time and they say, but I, I didn't know I was even doing this. When, when did you feel this started? Or, um, and they'll say, oh, well, four or five months ago, and you have left it all this long and you have been casting judgment on me within yourself all this time and you didn't even have, didn't even respect me enough to raise it with me. Mm. I think staff have every right to be very angry mm. about that. Because they've had no right of rebuttal and this no. for the manager been judged up yes. to a, a critical issue mm. which the staff member didn't mm. necessarily know mm. was even mm. an issue in the first yeah. place. And okay. that that sort of process, like I know nobody who conducts performance reviews, annual performance reviews, who likes them or feels they're even helpful. But because people don't seem to have, can't find an alternative, they keep on using it. Now, you get much better response from the staff if the performance review is nothing more than than a review of what they already know. Yes. You know, that Mm. you sit down and say, look, we've been talking regularly throughout the year, um... We know together we've said these are the key things. How do you feel you're going with them? You know, that it's mm. a lot of self, it's, it's a feed forward process again. Yeah. We're looking at how you've gone with, because, um, very big, in some studies that have done, been done, one of the most helpful things people have said is the management by walking around, that employees feel very motivated, inspired by managers who walk around on a regular basis and talk with them about what's happening. Mm. And so anything that's happening is picked up immediately. And and even before it's a problem. Mm. It's just a like the know, manager's there, they're a sounding board, yes. I've got this challenge, mm. what do I do? Yeah. yeah. And it might be something as simple as someone who over a period of a fortnight has come in late three times. Now, you might leave that and not say anything, but if after six weeks they're still coming in late, this is where it builds up. Whereas after three times, you to raise that then and say, look, is something happening? This is not you. You don't gen, you usually hear on time. Is there anything happening at home? Can we help in any way? Mm. And it might be they might have gone through a marriage breakup or something and now they've got to get the kids to work, kids to school by mm. themselves. Yes. But they don't want to tell anybody at work. 
And so something then can be worked out immediately and it's not, it's just not a problem. Mm, mm. So these performance reviews quite often organise, use them as the precursor to the salary review. So yes. it's either yes. you've done well but the organisation hasn't, mm. no bonus, no change in salary, yes. mm. or the organisation has done well but you haven't, so no mm. change in salary. Mm. So do you feel that they should be linked or that mm. because, there's a, yeah, there is a really is a strong conversation yes. on its own? There's a real strong feeling now that the salary increase discussion or the promotion discussion it should be quite separate mm. from reviewing performance. Mm. Um, that that they are two totally different mm. discussions. Because by nature they're in the contract to say performance. Mm and mm. salary will be mm. reviewed annually. Mm. So most organisations go, well, let's, you know, kill two birds with the one stone, let's mm. do them together. And so mm. I think they're seen as inextricably linked mm. and that's why there's that foreboding, I guess, that, mm. that comes with it. Mm. Um, if a manager can't release salary increases and mm. somehow there has to be a justifiable reason mm. and then the employee is going, well, I'm giving my heart and soul, mm. what more can I give? Mm. And so there's, mm. yeah, as you said, not there's not many people who come out of the performance review mm. enlightened. Yes. So do you have yeah. um, with your leadership group that you work with, do you... Um, do they do performance reviews? Do they still have that as part of their role? Because quite often it's a corporate thing mm. and you might have some clients in that corporate surrounds that still have to do mm. the performance review. But do they mm. then approach them with a little bit of difference to a standard review or do, do they still get the, well, this is the corporate policy mm. and the review will be undertaken in this format? This is about the soft skills of the manager. This is like the manager will know that this is not working but won't have the courage to try anything else. Mm. Mm. Now that's the key word isn't it yes, the courage. The courage because they don't they don't trust themselves to be able to to devise some process that's going to highly motivate their employees to perform dif- better. Not that the performance review doesn't. You can have this chart drawn up and you fill it all in that doesn't do it make them perform any better either Mm, mm. but if so if I can get a manager who's in an organization that's open to some degree of change and I can work with them to work out some different approach and particularly to get them to engage with their team members around what the team members want to improve. So the, the team member actually defines what they want to improve. Mm-hmm. The manager, this is the coaching process, the manager coaches the team member to look at what they want to improve. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's led by the team member. And if they've got a set of goals down that they want to improve, this is also where the reward and comes in that's not just for money yes so they can say look i'm going to see if you can go to our industry conference this year Mm. because i think you will find that very helpful for you or i'm going to see if i can get you get some money for you to join a mastermind group so you can develop those leadership skills that you're talking about you feel you need or yes so you can give them 
because uh, professional development and training is a is a really highly regarded motivator for people. Like it's it's very coming out loud and clear now that um, particularly young people won't stay in an organisation that doesn't give them career development and professional development training. So often that's more important for them than a salary increase as such. Hmm. Hmm. So when you're looking at empowering managers, how do you go about empowering them with the soft skills to manage their staff well? And you mentioned that part of what you do is you actually select the individuals that you work with. You've got to know that you've got something that can be moulded and has the motivation, I guess, to, to want to have this skill set. Yeah. So you're, you're a little bit selective. Yeah, well, you can't, you can't, um, people can't be sent to a to soft be skill fixed training no. course. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's just disastrous. Or even coaching. They can't be, it's, it's removing Like in their work. performance review, you need coaching. Mm, mm. So they're dictated yeah, what yeah. they need yes. and then they come as a less mm. participative and often um, the, student. And often the manager knows or the CEO knows that this person needs to improve such and such, but often they can't tell them, they can't articulate it. And I often feel maybe it's the manager that should be coming for coaching, not the staff member. And what I've begun to do now is when a manager will ring me and wants me to coach a staff member, I will say, how about you and the staff member come for the first session? So the ma- I can help the manager to articulate clearly what they want improved upon in the presence of the staff member, and I can to and fro, do you know what John means when he says that? Do you know what Rebecca means when mm. when she says she you, she wants you to improve on that? Can you see where that would help? So it's a it and so we're both on the, we're all on the same page when we start. Yes. So when we come to looking at the outcomes, we know we actually set outcomes. Mm-hmm. So the manager, I can say to the manager. What do you want to see when when she's finished this process? What do you want to see different about the way she will perform? Okay. So we've got something to mm. judge it all by. Mm-hmm. And do you have that conversation with the staff members? What would you like to see from the manager at the end of well, this time? Well, this, this, I've begun to do a bit of this yeah. recently, mm. is, is how can the, how can managers accept feedback from their people because that is really important too, to have a process whereby managers feel confident and are not threatened by their staff giving them feedback. Mm. And that they take it on board yeah. as learning yeah. as well. And it's, it's again coming back to that creating an empowering space where that happens, that yeah. it's not a bitching session mm. and it's not oh, this is a chance to cut cut him down to size or cut her down to size. This is really constructive So you would set the tone quite early in Mm. these workshops Mm. that, you know, there's rules of engagement Mm. here and this is allowed and this is not Mm. because we are in that empowering environment. Yes. What are some of the wins you have witnessed with managers and leaders adding this skill set to their makeup? 
One of the most um, striking examples I've had is um, a CEO who was really concerned about the drop in morale in his organisation. It was a manufacturing organisation and uh, was automatically was thinking, and I've got no money to fix this up. It's interesting how when something is not working, we think that the only way to approach it is to throw some money at it. Yes. Um, and uh, so I, I said to him, would you be prepared to spend 20 minutes a week, uh, 20 minutes a day to fix, over a month to fix this up? He said, not cost any money. I said, yeah, not cost any money. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Now, this manager used to park his car out the front of the building, walk in the front door to his executive office where he'd stay most of the day. Mm -hmm. So I suggested to him that he not go directly to office, that each day he spent 20 minutes walking through one part of his plant and talking to people. And, um, of course, when he started to do this, and, and he had good soft skills because he was able to do it. That didn't it's, freak him yeah, out. Yeah, he didn't mind striking up a didn't conversation. Even see, this is his role. Um, of course, when he started to do it, everybody was very suspicious. In fact, they thought he was checking people out to see who could get rid of, but, in fact, he was doing the exact <laughs> doing opposite. Doing an audit. They were, but within... A fortnight, people were realising that this is a, quite a change and within about three weeks there was a decided change in the culture of that organisation. Amazing. The really bottom line here is getting people in management and leadership to realise that, like we talk about our people are our greatest assets, hmm. but then we treat them like a cost or a liability, you know, that we've got to control and manage and when we see our people as our greatest assets you look after your greatest assets Hmm. you do everything you can to to keep them polished and clean and like just think of our houses Hmm. the way we look after our houses Hmm. and and we don't let them deteriorate it's it's Stephen Covey has this fantastic stuff about emotional bank accounts if if you remember back to when we used to have bank books yes and they had a withdrawal column and a a deposit column and you always wanted your deposit column to have more in it than the withdrawal column if a manager and this is a good uh, way of describing how we need managers need to have relationship with their staff They need to be depositing into their staff's emotional bank account all the time. So when they have to withdraw, when you get to a crisis and they want more from their staff or they can't give them the promotion or they can't, they want them to work longer hours or they want them to only work four days a week to get through this crisis, they can withdraw from that account because the deposits in it are so large. Yeah. 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 So when a manager or a leader looks at their people in that way, when they are commit, I want you to work with me, not just for me. Yes. It's a different mindset. When they're focused on that sort of relationship with their people, 
this all happens. So it's, it's not so much about strategies and tips for doing it. There are some strategies and tips, but it's more about that it's the mindset, changing the mindset of the relationship. It's changing the attitudes. It's, it's about culture. It's about values. And that 20 minutes per day yeah. had a fantastic ripple effect. Exactly, yeah. Look, I can't remember the organisation that does this. It's a it's a prominent organisation that um, has what they call the huddle. Every morning they have a stand. This is to get rid of all the meetings that you have. Every morning they have a stand-up 10-minute meeting. But what happens with that is, and this is an alternative to performance review really, the manager has to be very skilled here in facilitating this. So they need to have a lot of soft skills. But they go around, John, where are you at today? Rebecca, what are you doing today? And each of them says, and what happened with that yesterday, Mark? Did you get on top of that? And the whole team are listening to this. So when you come back the next day, if someone says, oh, no, I didn't get on to that, what happened? What happened that you didn't get onto it? Oh, well, I, you know, they can, everybody hears, and if that happens on a regular basis, everybody hears that this person is not performing. Mm. Everybody hears that they're procrastinating. And then they have to, putting things in that on. morning huddle, answer yeah. to the rest of the team. Yes. And then the peer pressure yes. takes care of itself. Yeah, and it takes the pressure off the manager mm. Mm. to do that. Yeah. So I think that is a very where I've seen that happen and I've I've it is the manager does need to be very skilled to do that because you are picking up the things that the non-performance you've got to pick that up without putting them down mm. often you've got to then this is where you can later on in the day go back to them mm. and say, look, can I give you some help with this? What what was happening that you did couldn't do that? Mm. But you're on to it straight away. Yeah, yeah. You don't let them come back for day after day because they then are going to get really anxious about the doing hurdles. that in front of yeah. their, yeah, mm. their peers, but they can't, whatever's happening, they haven't been able to get hold of it and yeah. change it themselves. Yeah. So it can be done straight away. And it's also a form of professional development and training on the spot. Exactly, because might there might be. be someone else in that network that mm. can assist the person mm. that is struggling mm. and go, hey, have you tried this? Or I did this and it worked. Mm. Mm. Very mm. good. Mm. Now, there's a depth of information that we could keep going to that next <laughs> level. It's like you're know, peeling the onion. Uh, but tell us, Marie, you've got a book out. So mm. what's your book called? And how can these enlightened, (laughs) motivated professionals start to garner themselves with some of your um, knowledge on soft skills? The book's called Soft Skills, The Hard Stuff of Success. It was originally written as as an introductory book because there were two groups of people that I was seeing a lot of. One was young professionals who have done their university course, they've done extra training that they need to do so they had a whole raft of skills they were in their late 20s they'd been out of university five years or so um they were applying for jobs they expected sort of some type of leadership or management jobs they weren't getting them 
and they were seeing people who didn't have anywhere near their technical competence getting these jobs instead of them. Mm. They were bewildered. They were sometimes quite angry about this but didn't realise that the reason they were missing out was because of their soft skills. Right. The way, and I'm sure you've seen this in the recruitment mm. industry. Yes. You know, it's even things like their presence, you know, the, the clothes they wear, it's the way they walk into the room, it's whether they've got eye-to-eye contact, it's the way they shake hands. Um, all of that, apart from how they then present in the interview, and one of the things that's happening nowadays is, and you would know this from the recruit, like people, the first point of contact for people is not with the manager who is going to work with them. Mm, It's with a recruitment person. Or a human resources person. Yes, or human resources person. Mm. So their technical competencies in their resume have probably got them the interview because we know, therefore, they've skills, technical skills to do this job. But what's going to get them to the next level is whether this person they come across, whether this person really resonates with them and yeah. whether they connect and, and they're, you know, it's a very subjective thing. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of the, the young graduates who are mm-hmm. wanting to fast-track to management, they'll be looking for a magic bullet. So mm-hmm. they'll be going, Marie Harris, mm-hmm. what's the magic bullet to get the mm-hmm. soft skills? Yes, yes. Really, the only way like this, it's not a tips and strategies thing. They, you really can't be taught these. Mm-hmm. You've got to do it through a group process. You can develop awareness through reading and CDs and audios and going to workshops and things, but the real thing happens in with other people. Mm. So you you can get a coach, you can get a mentor, you can get what I call an accountability partner or a performance partner. So if you reach the realisation that I really need to do this, get to improve my skills in this area... Or it might be a specific thing. I'm fine. I, I, for example, what we've been talking about, I just cannot give difficult feedback. Mm. Find a, a colleague, mm. either within your organisation, out there, set yourself some goals, work with one another, give one another feedback, someone you really trust, and, and work together on improving your your performance in that area, trying out different things. Better still if you get a group of four people. Yes. And that can be very helpful because you don't have to pay for that. Yes. I've set up these goals and vision groups where people meet for breakfast, Mm. 7.30 in the morning prior to work. If you've got people from different industries working together, they come at things from different directions. That's the most valuable and having everybody, all accountants or mm. all um, legal people mm. or yeah, all HR people. There's yes. a whole host of they different come, experiences. Yes. So some sort of peer supervision or consultation group. Mm. But you you do need to do it in relation to other people. Okay. Yeah. So, so you mentioned the book has been partly contributed to these people yes. who are looking to fast track yes. to management. Mm-hmm. And what was the other? The other half element? is the people 
who've been appointed to positions of leadership and management because of their technical skills. For the first time in their life, they've, they experience failure because they can't manage people. They don't know, they, they're very good at getting people to perform tasks and to perform them to a level of excellence. Yes. But in the process of doing that, they command and control or they do those sort of processes instead of motivating, inspiring, leading, supporting, all the things, Mm. you know. Mm. So they very much the critic in getting things done. And the old adage, you know, people join organisations, they leave managers. Correct. And so it's written... It's to give those people a sense that um, you can learn these skills. Mm. Um, but you really do have, this is lifetime stuff. Mm. But the good thing about soft skills, and I've got a whole chapter on this in my book, is unlike any other professional development and training, this is for life. Yeah, and it's not just applied in the workplace. This is about your relationship with your partner, with your kids, it's your next-door neighbour, it's your colleague, it's everything. You learn how to um, relate better with people, how to bounce back from adversity, how to not be stressed, how to manage conflict, fix all your relationships. So it really pays to invest in developing these skills. Exactly. So where can people find... This book well, sounds like a great entry to, to getting on the path to improving one's soft skills. Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a consciousness-raising book to, to read it and just see, well, this is what it's, this is what it's about. Is it on uh, your website? Yes, it's on my website, peopleempowered.com.au, and uh, can be ordered off my website. And people that can get a copy of the introduction and the first chapter just by signing up on my website. Fantastic. So you get a bit of an idea of what the book's about from that. But even on my website, there's a lot of articles and Mm. some podcasts and um, newsletters that have a lot of information they can Mm. get Mm. to see whether this resonates with them well this i follow you on facebook marie Mm. and the marie's like i love the articles that you put up Mm. because there'll be i won't see marie for a couple of days on facebook (laughs) and then there'll be this barrage of articles so she's gone i'm just going to give you some of my thought leadership and things that i've picked up Mm. from other thought leaders Mm. and you just put it on out Mm. there on facebook and i quite Mm. often will open those articles Mm. and read through and go yeah Mm. that was a really constructive article and, and very yeah. insightful so, so there's another one that yeah people got. can certainly follow me on facebook or linkedin mm. or twitter or google plus i'm on mm. all those all um, platforms all platforms Fantastic. Yes. yes so tell us just as we leave what are some of your current projects or passions what are you working on at the moment doesn't matter how long you are doing this work you're still learning things <laughs> And one of the things I've learned is that um, I, I need to be, people need to be able to experience my approach to things. This is why this podcast is so yes, good being able yes. to talk. But I'm in the process of 
moving into video and and webinars and you don't have to have your own business to do this I've been saying to managers like you go to say an accountant's website and um, it's all standard with lots of print in it it's the same as everyone else but you get one of the partners in that firm to do a video on what they're offering to people yes it just brings it so much to life so I'm I'm very much at the moment getting into videos and that type of thing. A, a very exciting project I've got on the mo- on at the moment. It's a one-off at the moment. It's the first time I've ever done it. It's a three-day transformation, transforming leaders for changing times with a big hospital, uh, the CEO and ten executive staff, and um, to go away for three days. This is the epitome of learning soft skills. Mm. Like if an organisation had a group of managers that they really wanted to invest in, to take them out of their work environment, to make them live and work together with a facilitator for three days, you can bring about enormous change in that time Mm. because they can't escape like they're only allowed to have their mobile so, phone so on. So when for it a gets uncomfortable, time. they can't leave. <laughs> they can't. But but it's a very empowering space for them too. They yeah. know that's why they're there. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so I'm very. That's in June, and I'm very excited about what that might mean mm. in terms of being able to offer something like that mm. to more and more organisations. Yeah. Yeah. It would be my ideal way of working with all with a group clients. to bring about yeah. real change. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, Marie, I just thank you for sharing some of your wisdom. You've obviously, you can tell you've spent years studying this and applying it and, and seeing where transformation can occur. Mm. Um, and thank you for sharing with us today. It's been a very in-depth chat. We've learnt a lot. Um, and that's just the, the start, I guess, for, for helping managers to do their role better and engage with their staff in a non-confrontational manner. It doesn't have to be a confrontational setting, but they can, as you said, Mm. feed forward for the Mm. future. Mm. I think that's some great, great tips. And as you said, it's not just tips, but it's ongoing learning. It's lifelong learning. Yes. So I thank you today. Thanks, Marie. Thanks. Marie Harris certainly had a lot to share in our interview. So what did we take away from the uh, discussion? First, I thought to empower people um, is to create an empowering space. Marie made mention that she can't empower people. People need to become empowered themselves. And that's done by um, having a safe place that is not threatening and talking about people's strengths and how they can build upon those strengths. And by doing so, they in turn become empowered The second point was around performance management and giving feedback, Um, and she sees that this is the biggest challenge that most leaders have. And why is this? Because no one wants to get offside. Um, People have a personal feeling around being rejected, and they can find themselves getting frustrated if they let Um, performance and particularly poor performance go 
to the point that when they do discuss the performance issue, um, they're in such an emotional state that they're no longer contained. So it's either um, not given or <laughs> managers don't want to be um, truthful around the feedback because of what the impact might be on them um, or they leave it thereby um, increasing the pressure and stress stress that they're feeling um, that they can no longer approach the discussion in a um, emotional stable manner and then I um, thought what she presented um, around performance reviews that you know, some of the leading um, executive coaches don't discuss feedback but feed forward and getting the team member to focus on what they want to do to improve. Yes, make mention of what's occurred but how to change that moving forward. So what action the team member can take so that it no longer happens again. So I thought, um, yeah, there was a lot there and it was great that she finished with her book and um, who her book is designed for, whether it is the graduates who want to go on the fast career path or managers who um, thought they had it all together and then they get in the roles and, and they fail and they need to actually garner themselves with the soft skills of leadership. So I look forward to hearing Marie and seeing her at our breakfast on the 19th of June and um, I'm sure you would have taken some pearls away with you as well. For our next speaker, I think one of our frequent podcast listeners should be due for an interview. Guy, you know who you are. Um, I'm coming to get you and see if we can possibly hook up on an interview. So um, this gentleman is a trusted client and somebody that we worked with closely last year um, as they launched a new manufacturing facility and a new product. And I'd love to talk through the joys and tears of setting up a business. And, yeah, I think there's other people who are either launching new businesses or divisions of businesses that would be very interested in learning more. So, Guy, just a full forewarning, you're on the radar and you will be approached for the next podcast. Hopefully, you'll hear from Guy in the next episode. So if you're on a recruitment journey and you need some advice and assistance with regards to your recruitment program, perhaps, uh, and how to, I guess, orchestrate and organize yourself and your stakeholders in the process to ensure that the outcome occurs in a timely manner, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at harvesthr.com.au on the contact form on our website or send us an email at info at harvesthr.com.au. Likewise, if you'd like to um, speak to Marie um, or learn more about um, how she can come and perhaps deliver some of those workshops on the soft leadership skills, again, give us a call or drop us a line. You can call us on 1300 363 128. And finally, you, if you do get this podcast on time and it's not too late, join us for Marie's um, breakfast. So it's coming up June 19th, 7.45am at Winter's Cafe. You have been listening to Harvest Recruitment's Seeds for Success show with Marie Harris. Want to cultivate your employment prowess? 
then visit harvesthr.com.au.